I will never, ever, ever forget my very first class as a marriage and family therapy student at Fuller Theological Seminary School of Psychology. I had been studying towards the ministry and uh, really felt in some ways that same call that I felt to be a preacher, um, to be a therapist. And so I had shifted my studies from Master's of Divinity to Master's in Marriage and Family Therapy, and I was preparing for my very first class I was excited. I was going as Marriage and Family 101. Uh, so, you know, beginning, entry-level course. And I felt so blessed that uh, uh, Jack and Judy Ballswick were going to be my professors. I thought, how cool is that? You know, Marriage and Family 101. And it's taught by two PhD marriage and family therapists who happen to be married as well. And I was so excited because I thought, this is cool. I was about, we were about five or six years into our marriage, maybe seven. And uh, so we were fairly newly married. And I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to learn so much in this class. So I, I had all my textbooks. I was sitting in my, my desk. I was with my cohort, my very first class. And um, just excited. I had plenty of paper to take notes. That, that's what we did back before there were computers and tablets and all that kind of stuff back in the dark ages. And um, I sat down. I was ready. And uh, Jack Ballswick gets up and he gets ready to begin. And of course, he welcomes us. And, and you do that thing that you always do at the beginning of every class at college and beyond. And that is you go over the syllabus. And so we go through the syllabus and then I'm just, I'm ready for this class to take place. And then, uh, he, he begins, he gets all his notes together and he says, look, this is a very important class right at the beginning. Marriage and Family 101. And so I feel like I need to be entirely honest with you all. I feel like I, I, there's something that I have to confess to you before we get going, before we dive into the teaching. Um, I want you to know something about me. And so to be completely honest, I have to let you know that I've been married at least seven times. <laughs> you can hear like cars screeching in the parking lot, air sucked out of the room, birds falling out of the sky as all of us just have this puzzled look on our face. Like I'm checking my syllabus. Is this divorce 101? What, what, uh, what, what in the world is this all about? What is this guy going to teach me about marriage? What is, what is he going to tell me about relationships and how to help people heal their broken relationships? What am I going to do? And just before the hands started shooting up and some people probably started walking back to the registrar's office to get their money back. He said something so profound that it stuck with me from that moment to this day. Something that I share with every premarital couple that I counsel. We'll get to that in just a second. But this is where we are today, isn't it? I mean, we kind of wonder about marriage. We we wonder, you know, will I? some of us, some of you are already, will I ever find it? But will I find that right person? And then some of us move beyond that or some of us, will it stick? If I do get married and find that person, I look at the statistics and it doesn't look that good. Will, will, will the relationship make it? Will the marriage make it? We all know these kinds of things and it is because of those kinds of questions, those kinds of desires and hopes that, that this might be what we get or have that we have a beautiful book right in the middle of Scripture 
called the Song of Songs. Now, I have to let you know a little bit about Song of Songs uh, because it is a, it's a Hebrew idiom that is used quite often. So we will see it as Holy of Holies, kind of the same idiom, or King of Kings, or what? You probably already know, Lord of Lords. It is Song of Songs. It is saying this is the greatest of them all. This, If it's King of Kings, it means you've, you've seen all the other kings, but this is the King of all the kings. And so, what we are starting off just with the title of this book, we should know that of all the songs that have ever been written, this is the song of songs. And what is this song of songs? Well, basically, it's ancient Israelite love poetry. What? You were hoping for like marriage instruction manual, weren't you? Like, do these five things and you'll have the perfect blissful marriage. Well, what the wisdom of Scripture teaches us is that love and the beauty of it and the passion of it, it is the greatest of all songs. And so we're going to look at this this collection of love poetry. And I know some of you aren't poet people. I, I, to be honest, I'm not really into poetry all that much. I enjoy certain things. I know what I like when I read it. But to be honest, I don't go searching for a lot of poems. So we'll jump into this together. I want you to let you know that, yeah, it is ancient Israelite poetry. Um, it is... Interesting, I think, that it is read during Pesha or Passover. That this is one of the passages of Scripture that they will read in its entirety during this celebration. So remember, they're, they're reliving and retelling the story of God's dramatic salvation of the people of Israel out of Egypt where they've been slaves for 400 years. And He leads them through and you've seen the Ten Commandments and you've seen Charlton Heston raise his staff and you've seen the, the ocean part and they walk through and God delivers them in great ways. They're talking about this incredible divine story story that had happened that made them into the nation of Israel. And in the midst of that, they stop and they read love poetry. In some ways, pretty graphic love poetry. We'll go easy today because it's family Sunday and the kids are here. But they read this poetry in the midst of this. And it it expresses passionate desire. I mean, passionate stuff is in here. It seems strange, but it seems that they want us to understand. The Song of Songs wants us to know that desire, marriage, and sex are gifts from God that are for our good. Let's pause right there for a second. Because sometimes the way that sex and desire is portrayed in our society, we think that it's bad and maybe we shouldn't have it. And, and if I could just be kind of desireless until I get married, then everything will be okay. But Song of Songs wants to let us know. Remember, the greatest of all songs wants us to know that desire, marriage, and sex are gifts from God. And they are for your good and my good. And... They are for God's glory. Now, that seems strange to add the God's glory in there. I I think it just kind of, I don't know about you, but when I was kind of thinking about this, it, it seems strange. But think about where this poem is read. 
These poems are read in the middle of this divine interaction where God is talking about delivering people in these dramatic ways. And then there's this very human poetry right in the midst. What it means is that God's incredible divine action is never separated from human interactions. That in some ways, if you think about this, when God said, I'm going to set those people free, I remember my promise, I'm going to take those dehumanized slaves out of Egypt, I'm going to deliver them in dramatic fashion so that they can go, and now, as human beings, they can fall in love freely. They can marry and give in marriage freely. They can make love passionately and enjoy the life stuff that comes out of making love, which is babies. Sorry, that's a a minivan conversation for the ride home. But God said, I set them free so they could be free and do the things that human beings are supposed to do. To desire one another. To fall in love. To get married. To have passionate love. And make love. And make babies. And live their lives. So, when we fall in love, when we get married within a community, when we make love and have babies, it is for God's glory because God's will was accomplished. And we are now free to do that. Does that, does that make sense to you? Does that get you a little bit excited about reading love poetry in Sunday, in church, together, and hearing this read to us, and seeing what these themes say to us about who we are called to be? So there are some scholars that say it reads kind of like a play. That there's a female character, there's a male character, and there are friends of both. It's kind of the wedding party that's around and, and they see this, this young couple that's in love. And so today, we're going to try this out, okay? Are you ready? Okay, so turn in your Bibles to Song of Songs, or however you get your Bible, you can do it electronically. I'm going to ask my wife to come, because she's going to play the female part. Everybody hear it for Lori, the Shulamite. Thank you. And, uh, and I will play the male role. Just seems right. Fitting. Married. Right? Yes. And you all will be the friends. Okay? And we're going to read this. And when it gets to the friends part, then I need you guys to read. Okay? So, you can, it'll be on the screen up here if you want to see it. Uh, but let's go ahead. Let's read. Are you, are you passionate? Are you ready? I haven't perfected my Shulamite accent. Okay, that's Sorry all right. about that. Go right ahead. Okay. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. 
Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. Oh, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars and the rafters are firs. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Amen. Was that fun? Well, let's hear it for uh, Lori the Shulamites. Now, I realize for many of us, this poetry doesn't make sense. Um, and again, there, there are a lot of metaphors in there. And if you can kind of, if you're into poetry, if that's your thing, you can sense some of the passion. Although it seems kind of strange to us nowadays for me to describe the beauty of my wife as a chariot horse with nice cheeks. Um, but there's passion, and love is kind of this way, isn't it? Sometimes love takes the words right out of your mouth, and things just move from your heart right through your lips, and you're kind of straining and seeking for things. But here it is. Right in the midst of the divine drama, we, they write it right into their national identity that God did some of this deliverance so that we could learn to live and love and make love and be human beings like God intended for us to do. That should be a good news for you. And our first theme that we're going to look at, and it's really the only theme we're going to look at today, is the theme of intense passion expressed through constant seeking and desiring. So if you are to read this, this whole book, and I would encourage you, uh, husbands and wives, do this. Go home this week, and before you go to bed, read a little bit of Song of Songs. Read it to one another. You can do this where you read back and forth. You might find yourself laughing and giggling. That's okay. Read some of it and you will see this theme of intense passion expressed through constant seeking and desiring the other. You will see this happen over and over again throughout these short eight chapters that there will be intense desire and there's passion. They, they express desire and then it's like they're lost. We saw this here. She asks, where, where is he pasturing his sheep? Why don't I know where he is? And the friends tell him, go, go find him. You must find him. You've got, and, and they find each other and all of a sudden, the, the very forest becomes their sanctuary. Oh, look at the pillars of cedar and the roof is, is, is fir You can almost see them walking in the forest, hand in hand, arm in arm. This seeking. And then as you watch, you'll see the pattern as it builds, as it builds, as it builds. Then all of a sudden, it almost seems to get too intimate. 
violent, too racy, and then it cuts to a new scene. And they're separated again. And, and they're lost again. And they, they express this desire, and, and they, they're, they're just not themselves without their other, and they, they desire to go after them again. And it, you see this over and over and again. And I'm so glad that this is where we start today. Because to be honest, sometimes marriage series... Uh, or I have a hesitancy to do those because so many of us are not married. But if this is true, then it shows us that we all find our place in this story because whether we're married or not, it is a human longing and desire to know and to be known. And I don't care if you're a young high school student or whether you're a senior citizen, you are someone who still has that innate human desire to know and to be known, to desire someone else and to be desired by someone else. And so if you're single today or single again today, there's a place for you in this story. That that desire that you have to find that someone who you haven't found yet is very part of being a human being and you are invited into this gift of desiring. Now, this brings us back, because we all begin here, this brings us back to what Jack had to tell us. Are you ready? I know you've been dying to know the story. Remember, if, you, if you've already forgotten, you have short attention span. Uh, Dr. Jack got up on that first day and told us, I'm going to teach you marriage and family therapy 101, but uh, I've been married at least seven times. And we were all just flabbergasted and didn't know what to do. And then he said, all to the same woman. That he had been married seven times, all to the same woman. And he began to talk then in this lecture about this idea of physical longing and desire, that it is a gift from God, and it's the place where we all start. But there are really stages and season to every relationship and every marriage. And he says we all start in the same place. And he called these places squeezing places. They're places where it seems like something's off. Like I haven't found that desire and the way to satisfy that desire in another other human being. And so I'm looking and I'm longing and we hear that, oh, where is my love? Where is he pasturing his flock? Where is he working? Where where has he gone? I, I am missing him. We all start there with that passion and that need. And then when we find them, he said that next stage is it opens up into an expansive space. And what that expansive space means is everything just seems to flow and to fit. Everything seems to be coming up roses, as they say. And you know, why do birds suddenly appear? Every time. You are near. Just like me, they long to be very good. This is the expansive space. Things just seem to work out and and flow and the, the rhythms work and there's just such passion and desire to be together. And then you decide to get married and you move closer and closer and closer to the wedding day and things just seem to get more squeezed and more squeezed and more squeezed. If you've been around an anxious bride before, or an anxious groom, you know what I'm talking about. The stress and stuff that you go through in that moment moves you into that squeezing space, and then you go on the honeymoon. And you open back up. 
And something is different and something has changed. And you move in that and the rhythms seem to be going well and the passion is there and sex is so satisfying and it's wonderful and you connect and everything in life just seems to be going swimmingly. And then something moves you to the next stage. He would say a lot of times that's when the first child shows up. Oh my goodness. And during that phase, everything seems out and both of you are sleep deprived and that kid won't sleep and it seems like all I do is wake up and change diapers and feed a kid and put them to sleep and, and I would never see them and we work and we work and we work. Do you see how this moves? Squeezing, expanse, squeezing, expanse. We move through that. The thing that Jack wants us to know though that I teach every one of my premarital couples is when you come out the other side of that squeezing time, both people in there have become entirely different human beings. They're a different man and a different woman. And that is one of the greatest gifts that God gives to us. Because it is your opportunity, it is your spouse's opportunity to fall in love with that man or woman one more time at a much deeper level. I I love, he, he told the joke, he said, I always laugh at those people who said, she's the same woman that I married 40 years ago. He's the same man. He hasn't changed a bit. Jack's reply is always, either one of them wasn't living in the house or one of them died on the honeymoon. (laughs) Because life has a way of changing us as human beings. The problem is, is that we live in a society that says, if it doesn't work, you get rid of it. But God's intention and God's plan is that when you come out of the other side of the squeezing moment and that woman or that man is entirely different than the one that you think you went into uh, with on the, from the expanse into the squeezing moment, you have an opportunity to fall in love at a deeper level because God wants us to mature in love. Not to be the same people that we were 45 years ago, but to love the person who is in front of you now is sometimes the greatest gift and one of the most difficult things we could ever do. I often tell people who are getting married, I say, getting married is one of the toughest things that human beings do, but it also can be one of the most rewarding things that you will ever do. But it will go through seasons. It will go through times of squeezing. And you will go through times of expanse where everything seems to be wonderful. So wherever you are on the journey, maybe today you're still waiting and you have all that pent-up desire and longing for someone to come and want to know you, to desire you, and you desire them and want to know them. God says, this is gift. I'm with you in this moment. I'm leading you in this moment. Keep hanging on. Oh, it's so good. This is, this is shaping you and transforming you. I know it's hard, but do this. Keep in this. Maybe for some of you, you're in the expanse. Like things are just going so well. And the routines and love is everywhere. And life just seems full of passion. You're, you're calling your wife a chariot horse of Egypt. You know, poetry is just flowing from your lips. Know that that is gift. And enjoy these moments. Enjoy those seasons. I hope they last long for you. 
But also know that that's not the end game. That God will lead you into those moments that shape you and transform you. And that too is gift. If you will lean in and learn to love the person that you find in those squeezing moments and out the other side. And for some of us, you won't come out the other side until we learn to love that person in that right who they are right in that moment. Maybe for some of you, you're in a time of great squeezing right now. Maybe for some of you, it's been a really long season. Years. You can't remember the last time there was passion. You can't remember the last time there was poetry flowing. You can't remember the last time that you, you, you loved one another. Can I say to you today, this, there's good news in these scriptures that say, yeah, you're in that time where there's separation, but God is calling you to see this as gift and to lean into who that person is now. And maybe it's time for you to take the first step. There are a couple of things that I think really help. When was the last time you had a date? And I'm not talking about sitting down on the couch and watching the same movie over again. I'm talking about getting out, doing something together, just the two of you. Have you ever tried counseling? Lori and I make no bones about it and make no apologies that our marriage needed seasons. Plural. Season. Long period of time, plural, more than one, where we went to marriage counseling because we couldn't figure some things out. We were in those squeezing moments. We couldn't find our way out. And we needed the help of someone to guide us. See, I'm not just a therapist. I'm a client. That's not the hair club for men. (laughs) Although I could be there too. But we needed those moments And we needed this help. Can I say guys in particular? Because we tend to be the ones that drag our feet. When was the last time you said, yes, let's go to counseling. Let's get some help. Because we're lost or we're stuck. And we need that help. And I'll go with you. I know we talk a lot about fighting for our marriages. But guys, I think better for us is, are we willing to surrender all for God's glory in our marriages? Are we ready to surrender? I mean, that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians way later. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Where did Christ love the church? On a cross. So guys, are we ready to step up, stop dragging our feet? You will grow through the struggle, not through your stubbornness. Trust me, I know it's true. Well, Wherever you are, you're invited to see that God is leading you in this journey, on this song of songs, and to receive everything as gift. So, I want to do something today. I I know it's already five after the kids are here, but if you're not in your family group right now, would you get in your family group just, just for a moment? If you are single, that's okay. You can feel confident right where you are. Or if you know someone else who's single and you just want to gather around and be a family, you can do that too. If you're new with us, I'm sorry we don't always do things like this. If you're here and you're dating, that's okay. You're on the journey. That's wonderful. You guys can, can uh, as dating partners, you can just be together. But Squeeze in together as families. Squeeze in. Come on, come on, come on. Squeeze in. Uh, move in. Move in. All right. 
Now, here's what we're going to do. I want one husbands and wives. If you've got your arms around, that's good. That's fine. Hold hands. Do something. I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. That I think is so powerful and yet we never do this. I want us to take a moment. In just a moment, we're going to play some music. Um, And I want you just in one little sentence, whispered to your spouse if you're very intimidated about speaking. But I want you to ask God to bless your spouse. Now, not God bless them with a better attitude. That's not what we're looking for. Alright? This is... God, basically what you're saying is, God, I want you to do a good thing for my partner. You know their hopes. You know their desires. You know their fears. You know their anxieties. I want you to take just a moment... Husbands, you're going to start to just say something to God, asking God to bless your wife. If you're dating, you can still do that. So, guy, you'll start. And just, God, bless my dating partner. You can call them by name. You don't have to call them dating partner. <laughs> bless them. Um, do good things for them. That's all. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be flowery. Just, God, bless them. Okay? And then I want us to switch. Wives, to your husbands or dating partners, however you want to do this. And then, single folk, I I honestly want you to sit with your hands on your own lap and say, God, bless me in this time of struggle and desire. Help me to hang on to you until I find the person. Help me to do that. I don't want anybody to be left out. Kids, I want you to hear your parents saying good things to God and asking God to bless your mom or your dad. So you lean in, kids. And parents, if you want to say something good about your kids and ask them to bless your kids, that's fine. We're going to take exactly five minutes. I'm going to set a timer so that we do five minutes. You want to see something that will... I've seen this in years, literally a decade or more of counseling. If I can get a husband and a wife to spend even two minutes just asking God to bless their spouse every day, it has transformed marriages. I know that sounds simple and overly done, but I'm telling you there's something about standing with your spouse and praying to God who loves them. God, I I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would bless them. And just... Say a few words. What a transformation. What a difference it makes in our lives. So, okay. Turn towards one another. Husbands, wives. Kids be around. I'm going to go over because my wife is here. But I want us to take five minutes, okay? Uh, here we go. Siri, set a timer for five minutes. <laughs> All right, we're good. Do this. And I'm going to bless you in just a second. But go ahead and do this for just a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for love. Thank you for this strange book. Help it to help us to learn to love well. 
Help us to hear you behind it all saying, I set you free to have good desire, to fall in love, to get married, to express that love physically, and to have life created because of that love. Help us, Father. Whether we are waiting for that love, or we have found it, or whether we found it once and we've lost it and we're looking for it again. Bless these, my brothers and sisters, bless these marriages and couples and help them to discover your great love. Help them to discover their new husband, new wife on the other time, the other side of the squeezing moment. Bless them, I pray, in every way with grace and mercy for the moment that they might have the opportunity to love at that even deeper level. For we pray all of this in the name of the one who modeled perfect love for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand and receive the final blessing? And now, may you, my brothers and sisters, know that desire is a gift of God. May you find that love that you are longing for, where you may love and be loved, be known and know. And I pray that you will see gift in the times of expanse and in the times of squeezing and fall in love at deeper and deeper levels. For I pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Before you go, I want to let you know that in April, we will be having a weekend to remember here in Kalamazoo. Date night I was talking about. How about uh, uh, grabbing your spouse and, and being a part of a night to remember. These are going to be on the Welcome Center back there. If you need anything more, David, who's one of our ushers, can let you know more about that. But this would be a great opportunity if you're in a stuck space. This might just open you back up to the expanse. Why don't you plan to be a part of that? It's in April. All right? God bless you. Go. We'll see you tonight for that big game that's going to happen. Bring your chili.